Behold! The sword of power. Excalibur. Welcome to the Ogasho Galio Wow podcast, the podcast where we talk about the Marvel comic series Excalibur and nothing but Excalibur every week for 126 plus weeks. We said we'd be talking about X-Man this week, and you can't say we're not keeping our promise by discussing Age of X-Man, the amazing Nightcrawler number one to five, in which <laughs> Kurt and Megan's sexual chemistry both breaks the world and saves it. And also Kylan is there, meaning it's totally <laughs> relevant to Excalibur and you can't <laughs> convince us otherwise. Age of X-Man, the amazing Nightcrawler was originally published in 2019, and the creative team is... Shannon McGuire on writing, Juan Fergari on pencils and inks, Donald Sanchez Amara on colors, Travis Lantham on letters, and Chris Robinson and Jordan D. White on editing. You need me again now that my truce is wrecked. Years to build and moments to ruin, and all for lust. One night with her. You don't understand, you're not a man. Use the magic. Do it. Welcome back to the podcast that's entered the 21st century for one week only because we had a scheduling conflict and figured you'd rather have us talk about the 21st century comics than have us talk about nothing or, God forbid, Weird War 3. So here we are. <laughs> that was not an option. <laughs> Don't tease them like that. That's not fair. Never, never. It's never going to be on the pod. <laughs> but who are we? Starting with myself, I'm Dr. Anna Papard. I love talking about sex and gender nonsense and comics and pop culture, and there's a lot of that nonsense in today's comic, which is part of why I picked it. I also picked it because I am Kurt Wagner's unofficial PR manager, and in that capacity, I approve of comics where he's accepted as famous enough to have PR managers. A perfect world indeed. I am joined, as always, by Mav. What's your reality this week? I'm done grading. Yay! That's my reality. I, <laughs> like, I mean... I, I know I usually start these out with some some clever joke that's like related to the comic or, or you know, or just no, no. Like my life has been I, I had a hundred and sixty some odd uh, papers and projects to grade and I've done nothing but read, you know, read papers and listen to like undergrad podcast assignments or watch or watch video essays. It's been a lot like that's been my last week of just solid, just absorbing I, I, I don't mean to say, you know, in case any of my my students are listening, I don't mean to say that they're bad. You know, I enjoy my job, but oh my God, is it a lot? Like, you know, like I, yeah. like if, when you're not, you know, when you're not on this side, like when you go to college and you think, oh God, I have so much work to do. There's so, you know, uh, I've got six classes. I've got six term papers to, to write. And I acknowledge that writing six term papers is hard. Reading 160, also mm -hmm. very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I am... Yeah, and and I finished uh, I finished that about four hours ago, and uh, as we record, and 
and um, I'm, I'm exhausted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just so tired. No, I feel you. I was I just finished mine like yesterday, and yeah, similar volume uh, of stuff at the end of the term. And it's like, on the one hand, I was so heart embiggened by reading all of these close reading responses <laughs> of like yeah. Uncanny X Men number one eighty six Life Death and talking about Storm and agency and depression and it was wonderful, but at the same time there was hundred and twenty of them and it was a yeah. lot. <laughs> it was a lot. Yeah, and I guess it's not a bad problem no, to have. It's not. I don't want everybody to think it's just you know it's great. I I love my students. I love my job. I'm just tired. I guess I should also say hi. My name is Christopher Maverick. I teach at the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, I study comics and popular culture and cultural studies and gender theory and, oh, stuff like that. But, like, really, just the last, you know, the last week of just solid reading and grading, and and it's done now. So (laughs) I guess I forgot to say that part. How about you, Andrew? Are you living in a perfect world this week, or does darkness and deception bubble just below the surface? I'm going to come in on this one and say that that, that I I am sincerely jubilant about this story, (gasps) so I'm not going to acknowledge the simmering darkness. I really Mm. like this series, and I'm I'm very excited to talk about it. So I'm doing doing good. I'm going to say I'm doing good. I'm I'm Dr. J. Andrew DeMann. I am a (laughs) lecturer at St. Jerome's University. Who's doing good. Great. <laughs> Great. I'm so happy to hear that. Um, You're just saying, none of us are drunk. This is just the sound I... of, this is the sound of finals. This is how, yeah. this is how finals sound. Exactly. <laughs> it's, par- it's partly that. And it's also, we're doing a late night podcast and it's just the three of us tonight. <laughs> because again, we had sort of a scheduling conflict, but we'll be back on it next week. But I always feel like when we don't have a guest, we're always like a little bit, because when there's a, the pressure of a guest being there, you're like, oh, I got to put on a good show for the guest. But you know, it's just my friends, Andrew and Mav. Like, they're not going to disrespect me if I screw up. It's fine. It's fine. Anyway, um, yes, it's just us this week, so I think we'll get right into it. I'll do the plot summary right away, and then I'm very eager to hear your responses to this comic book, which is mostly responsible for getting me back into X-Men comics which is not nothing, so we'll talk about that. But we've got lots to cover this week since we're doing five entire issues. So as I said, let's get straight into it, starting with that plot summary. Age of X-Men, The Amazing Nightcrawler number one, opens in the Age of Apocalypse, or at least something like it. In fact, the titular Amazing Nightcrawler is filming an action movie with his co-star Megan at his movie studio, Studio X. After work, there's some maybe flirty banter, and Kurt's personal assistant, Celeste Cuckoo, reminds him of the fan dinner he has to attend that evening. After a call to Jean Grey, who wants him to come home for dinner soon, Kurt gets ready for the party. While walking the red carpet with the beautiful Megan on his arm, he hears a mutant in distress. It's a young girl crying because she tried her best to win tickets to the party to no avail. Kurt, ever the gentleman, invites her as his special guest. During the party, some guests express disgust regarding the two Stepford cuckoos, Irma and Celeste, who display familiar bonds. Those of you who've read Age of X-Men before will recall. In this alternate reality created by X-Men, aka Nate Grey, family relationships and sexual relationships are forbidden. In exchange, mutants get a so-called perfect world in which they're beloved instead of feared with, you know, all of these consequences obviously, which we will talk about. Um, back at the party, Kurt manages to defuse the situation with the cuckoos. Later, he teleports himself and Megan back to Studio X where they succumb to their forbidden desires. Issue number two deals with the emotional ramifications of Kurt and Megan breaking the rules. There's also a subplot about Reagan Wingard um, wanting her competing movie studio to merge with Studio X, a proposal Kurt declines. Later, Megan invites Kurt to a 
secret sexy sex club for other mutants who share their forbidden desires. Kurt goes to the club, but quickly flees. He arrives back at Studio X to find a sexy blue shapeshifter who's familiar to us and strange to him, none other than Mystique. Issues three and four deal with the revelation via the woman who appears to be Mystique that Kurt and presumably Megan have a daughter, Tina Jean. Kurt becomes determined to recover Tina Jean and enlists Megan to help. There's a battle at a mall with Wingard Studio. Tina Jean disappears in the hands of Mystique, who later turns out to be Megan, reacting empathically to Kurt's repressed memories. Issue 5 is full of revelations, as Kurt and Megan discover the true nature of their world and the reality bending and mental manipulations that got them there. Apparently, they've fallen in love many times and had their minds wiped each time, hence the existence of Tina Jean. Finally, tragically, facing the impossibility of escape, Kurt agrees to let himself get mind wiped again in exchange for Megan and Tina Jean going free. We conclude with a glimpse of Megan and Tina starting a new life while Kurt is back to being the star of Studio X with Surge as his new leading lady. Also, Kylan is Kurt's personal trainer, and I don't think I mentioned that Magma is also there. Um, we can talk about those things in due course, but hard to summarize five issues without being incredibly boring. <laughs> I did my talk best. About it, but I think she's there as I think as much mm, as you get. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Um, but anyway, let's do those first impressions. And you already said that he's got affection for it, but I'm very curious about your reaction, Mav. So maybe we'll start with your first impressions because you're reading it for the first time, I think. No, I'm not. Oh, okay then. <laughs> I'm not. I'm reading it for the third time. Uh, and and when you proposed this, it was like, I don't know if I've read that before. Um. And then and then I read it, and I was like, oh, yeah, I did read it. And last time I read it, I, was, I had the exact same reaction. Have I read this before? And, oh, yeah, I did. I read it when it came out. I own, you know, I own it. And then I read it again when you brought it up for an, another episode as just sort of a, a backstory thing. And I read it again. And now I'm reading it for the third time. This is the most critical I've been of it because, you know, that because it's the actual comic for today. And the thing is, I didn't care for it. Is it bad? This is, I mean, I, 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 I want to rest anybody... We're, we're not in Promethean Exchange territory. I'm not saying that, okay? Like, this is not this is not that. Like, I don't hate this. I just keep forgetting I've read it because I connect to nothing in this. And I have my reasons for um, why I don't like stories like this. It's part, and part of it's, like, just a personal distaste. And then the other part is analytic. And we'll, you know, we'll do both of it throughout the course of the podcast. I understand what's likable about it. It's just very much not for me. And every, as I was reading it this morning, I went, oh, yeah, it's this one. Oh, there's going to be the kid. Yeah. <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. Okay. I remember that. And, and I, and I felt that way about every single thing of it. it I, like, I know why I'm supposed to connect to it. I know it, it's, um, the best example I can give, uh, this is going to be, a, this is going to be very super super literary i'm going to put that that whole degree thing to work here i had to read for for a class i think my first year maybe my second year i think my first year of my phd program i i took a class where uh where we were doing like civil war lit you guys are canadian american civil war lit there mm. you go and um i read uncle tom's <laughs> cabin and i know why uncle tom's cabin's important and there are parts of uncle tom's cabin i like but there is an entire long middle section of Uncle Tom's Cabin, which is the the invention of sentimentality of, in literature, and it is uh, it is this heart wrenching story of Tom meeting uh, and this little girl um, who is very clearly dying of consumption for two hundred and forty pages, and I read that book just going. <laughs> just die just <laughs> just get it over with i do not care i just like i know where this is going i know why i'm supposed to feel sad i know why this is supposed to affect me but 
my heart is made of stone and I just want it to end. Please kill her already. Oh and that's and, and that's where I was with the with this for the parts where I felt like I felt like I was supposed to be emotionally manipulated and it didn't land with me and so I was bored by by it. And I understand why I'm not wow. I, I like no, uh, and and I know what's going to happen in a moment because Andrew has actual children. <laughs> and I understand why that's <laughs> going to make a difference. But like I read this and I'm like, I know how I'm supposed to feel. I can see the strings on the puppets pulling at me, right, right. and I'm just like, no, no strings, snip. And I and I and it just and not, it's not like intentional. It just didn't work for me. So that's where I'm at. I, I'm not without criticisms of it, which we will discuss in due course, but like, yeah, I do want to hear what Andrew likes about it, because I'm curious of whether it'll be the same stuff that I like about it or not. Well, okay, so so first, just to, to Mav's point, I actually don't respond to the tenure relationship either. I, I, I don't think that is well written, and I don't think his motivation there makes much sense. He's like, look, she looks like me. And I'm like, well, I agree. Okay. It's not, not She's really- blue. You know lots of blue okay. people. <laughs> yeah, narcissism yeah, you guys know narcissism right that's why we have kids yeah. anyway um but for me what, what i like again where mav was saying it, it didn't sort of connect right away this thing connected with me in a big way in the first issue i love the characterization of kurt um as this this hopeless romantic this this showboat um this person who sees megan for who she really is there's the line um where she um um shifts out of her movie star look and he just looks at her and smiles and says there you are frau puccino and i'm like oh my god that's perfect kurt that that's that's exactly the kurt i remember from paul smith when claremont was writing him and i'm just completely on board like i, I don't even think he writes megan well i don't or, or she writes megan well this isn't megan to me at all this is a new character which no we're used to this point in our podcast but Mm -hmm. the the kurt that shannon mcguire writes is to me just ideal like like, i I feel like she really gets this character and i love just watching her explore her love for nightcrawl i agree that really comes across to me and it reminds me of like when and this is going to sound like an insult but i don't mean it that way i absolutely mean it as a compliment as someone who loves fan fiction it reads to me like someone writing a nightcrawler fan fiction who deeply loves the character of nightcrawler and it just comes across in every single part of it to me and like i do think the characterization of megan is not great i would even hesitate like i would even say that it's bad in terms of like the stuff that we get for megan in the story doesn't do a lot for her and i think that affects my ability to invest in the relationship between these two characters that is one of my main criticisms of it there's also like a continuity criticism of it where like okay so (laughs) the age of x-man event was supposed to be like it actually really happened like it's not like an alternate universe it's like these things really happened so what happened to this kid and also megan already has a husband and a child (laughs) yeah yeah she's just like yes she yes she does and she's (laughs) she's, and she was moved aside and she got to fuck kurt for like nine years that's what happened (laughs) yeah because that's because that's what this story asks us to believe and i think that there's a lot of questions about that in terms of it does no i know it does it's an issue it's an issue so i will like preface it by saying like the affection that i have for this story i ignore that part of it because like that just can't work and it just raises a lot of questions about the sexual relationship between these two characters too because it is different right like kurt was not attached to somebody at this point he does not have a wife or a husband or a family or anything right so like the ways that this 
narrative affects him is different than the way that if this narrative were supposed to accept that this actually happened, huge ramifications for Megan's life versus his life. And we have not seen a single mm-hmm. glimpse of those ramifications ever. <laughs> and we're not going we're to. We're never going to. <laughs> so, like, I well, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say never. Megan gets a hall pass yeah. based on Brian's behavior with Courtney slash. Oh, yeah, Saturday. I have no problem with that. So are we going to get, so let's, we should, I mean, are we getting into it or are we going to, are we still doing first impressions? Well, I don't know. I, okay. Let me, let me say one thing in defense of it first you should say yours. and then like, yeah, just like a couple of things. So I already said the thing of like, I do think it extends from like a really positive characterization of Nightcrawler and that really comes across. And there's so many moments throughout, like we were talking a little bit off air before the pod, like there's even a number of sort of like panels and outfits, like things that Nightcrawler wears that like are clearly inspired by other sort of mm-hmm. nightcrawler things like he wears like the white pants of the black turtleneck which is a callback to like i think it's uncanny x-men number 168 i think it's the burt reynolds pose one he wears that outfit before he goes to see amanda and i'm like i can't believe that that's not intentional and i completely believe that shannon mcguire who clearly loves this character wrote that into the script and so like for me as a person who loves this character that stuff just really shines through mm-hmm. so like there's yeah. that and like the ways that this sort of negotiates Kurt's sort of like repression and romanticism and utopian impulses and makes it all make sense, I think is super, super impressive. And probably I would make an argument that it's like one of the best 21st century characterizations of the character that I have encountered. Yep. I would put it in competition with like Immortal X-Men number eight by Kieran Gillen which I also really, really adored and think about all the time. But those are my kind of two that I would like point to as like, this is what I want from Nightcrawler as a character. Does the entire story work for me perfectly? No. (laughs) And that aspect of the Megan like thing of like, (laughs) this doesn't make sense with her continuity and that dehumanizes her in some ways because it doesn't, it doesn't let, it doesn't let her react to the trauma though. Like it doesn't let her react to the trauma of like, forgetting about her family and her daughter and the hall pass thing whatever i don't care if she cheats on brian but making her forget (laughs) about her daughter and not having her reckon with the trauma of that that's a lot (laughs) that is a lot yeah it's not the story's fault yeah when i say when i say bad here i'm i don't mean i'm saying very specifically something bad happened to her here and we're ignoring it because of yeah publishing yeah, concerns yeah. and i and be, and and that's it is a bad thing and that's what that's what that's i don't know <laughs> i mean, I, 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 I mean I, so po- megan's not doing much yeah. right i think no one of the things that was in my head a lot when reading this was was what if we made this series and there's ways that that would kind of draw out the queer metaphor uh, that's in play in sort of the middle section. Huh. I don't know if you lose as much in just in terms of the idea of like Nightcrawler's repressed longing for Megan. But yeah, no, no, Megan just feels kind of like we needed some random love interest in here. Let's go with Megan. See, I had a theory that it was supposed to be Scarlet Witch, which would make a lot of sense with it being TJ, that is the daughter, because obviously he has the daughter that's TJ with Scarlet Witch in like Nocturne's reality. And I had that as a theory, but McGuire was like on like panels saying she specifically wanted Megan. And so like, it wasn't like a compromise according to her. So I found that a little bit funny. I didn't think it was a compromise either. I think she wants Megan for exactly the reason you said earlier. And this might be part of why i don't like it as a personal thing (laughs) it's a fanfic thing and i like fanfic but it's a fanfic in a bad way and it's not their fault it's not the writer's fault this came about um this storyline not just amazing nightcrawler but the entire age of x-men storyline came about yeah because of a scheduling problem 
basically the Marvel decided that they were going to give X-Men to Hickman to reboot and he wasn't available when they were ready to end the previous um, run. I can't remember who was doing X-Men disassembled. Rosenberg. Thank you. Well, when Rosenberg was finishing and Hickman wouldn't be available for six months or something like that, like uh, they, they basically said, we've got a gap and we've got to do something. So who can we get to write a story that won't matter? And that's not fair to anyone who worked on not just not just Amazing Nightcrawler. It's not fair to anyone who worked on any of the Age of X-Men stories. Uh, so McGuire or anybody else, because essentially they were given the purview to do something, but we're going to wipe it all away. So like they knew it was going to get wiped all away by virtue of what this story was and by virtue of what was in the pipeline. So, mm-hmm. hey, why not do your most your most fanficy your own personal world? And if it doesn't make sense in the greater crossover, because things are somewhat inconsistent from one from one Age of X Men title to another Age of X Men title, who cares? And it, it and it really it feels like the publisher isn't invested, and that makes it hard for me as a fan to invest. There are things that I like about this story, but reading it at the time, it felt very forgettable. And because there's and because this is a world with no consequences, even though the end the, the ending of the story is a man gives up his entire worldview to allow his wife and his daughter to to exist. That should be a beautiful moment, and yet it doesn't matter because I know it's being erased next month. Like, it, literally everything about it feels so temporary and so forgettable, and... It's the problem of um, it's the problem of uh, whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow, except that I like that story. So, like, like in the, in that Superman story, it's like a I can do anything because Crisis is wiping it all away. So I'll do anything, and I felt like I felt like this is what this is trying to do, and yet it doesn't work for me because it just it just it isn't. That's a that's a tall ask, and you know the fact that I like the one version of it is just almost accidental. Just to respond to what Matt's saying, I, I think I completely understand everything you're saying. That makes a lot of sense. For me, why it works is because I think in the environment that McGuire um, um, has to work with, um, what what she does is spotlight Kurt's character whilst framing it not as irrelevant but as innate. The idea that that's made very clearly thematically in this story to me is that this is who Kurt is regardless of his memories, regardless of, you know, what reality he's in. That part always endures. And I think at this point in the character's history, we actually do need that reminder because this is a character who kind of fell to the wayside and we, we, we lost touch with all these essential kind of transcendental Kurt elements. So to me, I, I think this, this is major character restoration. Um, but again, I, I, I completely see your point and why that, that might not um, be enough it's just does the character restoration matter if no one's going to remember it literally next well, month? well the readers will though yeah. do they <laughs> i mean I do. this rejuvenated curtain eyes this got anna reading okay. x-men again true true yeah true no i get it i get it but i mean but also and 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 i don't i don't know every reader right i i know a bunch of academic people and I know a bunch of people who uh, post on the internet too much about, you know, very <laughs> dude broy, you know, <laughs> real fans do this, real like, like I, I yeah. mean, it's just it's hard. And I know my literal friends, right? So, like, I feel like I know people who care about Kurt, but also my friends, like all my everybody that I would be likely to talk about comics with, has a 
massive total recall of 40 years of comics history just rumbling right. around in their head, right? Like I, like I was talking to a friend of mine recently who was like, have you ever read this book, God Loves Man Kills? And I'm like, yeah, I've yeah. read God Loves Man Kills. <laughs> you know, I've heard the, of it. And, and then I, and, and it, was, it was actually on, on Facebook and, and other people were like, yeah, I've read it too. He's like, how do you know somebody? I'm like, literally half my friends are comic book professionals, right? like com- professional comic scholars. We've all read God, Man, God Loves Man Kills. It's just, yeah. but that makes us weird, right? So like, I don't know that, <laughs> I mean, not, not weird in a bad way. I'm just saying the fact that like, I know an inordinate number yeah, of yeah. people well, who've yeah. read this one graphic novel from literally 40 years ago right like like um i wow yeah i know it's <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> i don't want to think it, about that but but like the fact that i know that right it, it's it's weird compared to we're not the normal x-men fans who are the normal x-men fans were introduced to this character via cartoons in like 2000 and <laughs> you know, you know yeah. what I mean? Like that's 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 more normal than what we are. So I don't know. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, and I don't know. That, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I just I don't know that people do go. Oh yeah, the Amazing Nightcrawler. That was a defining story for you know the 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 majority of the readership. I'm saying. Well, yeah, but I don't know that I care what the majority of the. People who are aware yeah. of this character think, because I think the majority of the people who are aware of this character think he's the character he is in like X two, and that is so out of step with yeah. everything I love about the character. Yeah, yeah. That like I don't care what they think. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> so there's that. But Unless casuals. they listen to the show, in which case we love Filthy you. Casuals. <laughs> we 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 love you, but you're wrong. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> But like, anyway, like, cause for me, it's like, you know, part of why this series is sort of like a safe space for me is because a lot of stuff that was going to happen with Nightcrawler subsequent to this, I was going to hate. <laughs> so like, yeah. to me, I'm like, this which, was a really good is, characterization of the right. character. But even, even under Hickman, you know, mm-hmm. Hickman didn't do anything that upset me with Nightcrawler, but he still dropped all of the character's continuity to do what he wanted with the character. And that made me sad. So like, you know, this is sort of like this respite and like this like separate world in which I can sort of enjoy this characterization of the character and that was so repetitive what I said I'm clearly losing my train of thought but again just like this little pocket universe in which we can have this really interesting characterization of Nightcrawler and I could just like live there for a Mm -hmm. little while and as someone who's read all of the Nightcrawler comics that's exciting because you don't get that very often sure how do you feel about this is mostly for Anna about literally everyone else yeah, yeah. Andrew, we talked about like you know, <laughs> yeah. Megan's conversation. Her, her personality is not right i don't recognize any of these cuckoos i like the step from cuckoos i actually like yeah. all five of them I, there are different versions of them where where i feel different ways like my favorite point of the step for cuckoos was when they started trying to develop their own personalities and dyeing their hair and stuff i was like oh brilliant absolutely like i like their individuality Outside of the hive mind that they're linked in, I always think those stories are really, really interesting, except not pretty, you know, pretty much not here where they're just sort of loosely copying a good place plot yeah, yeah. <laughs> poorly and like and and i and i felt like yeah, I, I mean i get what you're trying to do but it wasn't working i i made the joke at the beginning and magma's here you know, yeah, know. for some reason i guess uh, you know i mean magma often unfairly maybe fairly is in many ways the least interesting of the uh of the original new mutants so much so that oh no question so much so that when they made the movie which however you feel about the movie they just didn't bother to put her in it and 
I think some people like have probably watched this, watched that film and gone, oh my God, Magma's not in it because you didn't even notice. It doesn't matter. Um, she is a part of the Demon Bear story and they just le- lifted her right out. It was, so uh, I, I guess. And Kylan's there and he's like, oh, you remember Kylan? It doesn't matter if you do or not because he doesn't do anything and then there's like other people it's like hey lady master like it's just it 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 very much is an exercise in in member berries and point at the easter egg and saying hey remember this person they're slightly out of character now because it's a different reality but there they are and okay like that's to be fair i i I don't i don't want to blame mcguire here too much because this was the assignment she was given right (laughs) like it's not Mm -hmm. like it's not like they're they said hey you're gonna go write an ongoing nightcrawler series that's just gonna run as long as you can keep it popular that's not the the gig she was given she was given the gig of you know keep this warm and fill some space for five months because we're doing something else like that's i mean mean, that's really what it was right like it's just like you know keep the engine running (laughs) we're we're gonna be a minute and and that's kind of that's and that's not a that's that's not a great job for a writer it's literally telling you it doesn't matter whether you're good or bad we don't care and that's that's rough that's a rough gig so the fact that it's as good as it is is in my mind a labor of love but then it also it also makes me not particularly hate any of the stuff that I didn't like. The fact that Megan's out of character, okay, whatever. I mean, to me, a more interesting. I'm I'm not the fan of Nightcrawler than Anna is. I like Nightcrawler, but I you know I don't love Nightcrawler. He's fine. <laughs> to me, the more interesting story here. Well, what? I mean, in this reality, in this reality, the more interesting story is. Oh my God! The trauma of Megan's. Yeah, you know, I know. Megan is has been put in, in, into a situation where presumably her her feelings for Kurt in this reality are real because they've fallen in love a couple of times. They have created a daughter. If she is recovering her memories throughout the story, which is how I how I read it, that means she must remember that she has another husband and another child. That like there's. Very real trauma that I would love to explore here. I would love to explore the what does it have to what does it mean to have two two lives com- contained in your mind to where you must remember it and you must reconcile these feelings and deal with the you know the very real romantic relationship of Kurt and Brian, which is a very different thing than what we did in Excalibur, where it was a crush and unrequited, mm-hmm. and one was you know this is a I have you know, I have been partners with these two people and through no fault of my own, now I have to like disentangle it. That's an interesting story to me, but we're never going to talk about it again. I And that's weird. I am, I do know for a fact that like a lot of people who are fans of the character of Nightcrawler reacted badly to this series specifically because of the Megan part of it. Like specifically mm-hmm. because of what it does to her and it doesn't reckon with her trauma and it makes the makes the romancy love story mm-hmm. real unfun. So like again But it would be an interesting yeah, story. Yeah, it could be, be it could be story. an interesting story if mm-hmm. we reckoned with it. But it's sort of like conversations we've had with, you know, about sexual assault storylines in the past, which, you know, in a situation in which consent is uncertain which it is in the story but for all the characters involved because Mm -hmm. there's mind wiping involved so it's questionable it's like to tell a good story and to do that you have to have the characters reckoning with the trauma if you're using them as plot devices and not going back to it Mm -hmm. then i mean that's a sexist trope it is and like a female writer can do a sexist trope it is what it is and like again i don't want to pile all of this on mcguire to the extent that i think she was told to write a story in a pocket universe she did what she wanted to do it's not her responsibility to worry about the 
larger continuity. If anything, like if they wanted to assert like this story matters and is in continuity, then it should have been the editor that nixed like using Megan in this story because that's their job to sort of preserve that continuity. So like, again, I think it's a huge problem with this story. It's a problem I'm able to ignore by just treating it like a pocket universe and pretending it's not part of continuity mm -hmm. because I'm allowed to do that as like a person who mm -hmm. can <laughs> ignore continuity <laughs> when she wants to. <laughs> Headcanon. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I I can't offer the slightest counter argument for literally any of Mav's points, but I forgive all of them because that's I fair. love the Kurt portrayal so much. And and that is fair. And that's and that's that's kind of what I was at, said at the beginning, right? Like I get why I'm supposed to like this story. It didn't hit quite hard enough for me to make right. me to make me ignore the logical problem that I'm having with it. Where I mean, I mean, it's like intellectually, I know that if I liked this fifteen percent more. I, I'd be able I'd be okay of just ignoring everything that I just said so I so I <laughs> I don't think either of you are wrong it's just that I'm like I'm kind of met on it I'm kind of uh oh this is okay and wait a minute the ramifications of this are gross <laughs> and, that's, and that's kind of where the, and I felt that last time and the time before that when I read it and each time I so much so that like I seriously forget about it each time because I'm just like oh that's so that's so icky that that happened yeah you and can't make it work yet. in continuity and not have it be awful so I pretend that yeah. it's not <laughs> Yeah, that's and that's fair. That, that's, you know, there are. I, that is a. That I think that is the. It's probably the healthiest way to deal with it. We will talk about it, I guess, next week. Or I'm not sure the order of our episodes. I, I have a dislike for X Man as a character and everything related to it. So like, so like, it's so yeah. the so where Nate Gray revamps the universe. You're already starting in a very deep hole for me. So the fact that I've gotten to lukewarm with this is is an accomplishment for McGuire. Yeah, I'll give well, her that. Yeah, we are going to be talking a little bit about X-Men uh, next week. I I did a, a, sh a short segment about this comic on Battle of the Atom back in November. And like, Zach Jenkins, host of Battle of the Atom, was all like... I mean, Nate Gray's previous relationships were, like, with a version of his mom and, like, a demon. So, like, he doesn't have the healthiest view of relationships, so it's not surprising he would create an entire world devoid of sexuality okay. in relationships. So we should move on to that oh, part, no. because that's another thing... <laughs> Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's the other, that's my other issue. That's my intellectual issue where I was like, there's my personal dislike for it. And then what, what I think this has to say that's interesting is there's a whole area of studies that tries to deal with asexuality, which is the, probably the least uh, literarily explored of all possible queer sexualities. Yeah, this is true. This is true. <laughs> um, uh, not, not in comics. I mean, across mm -hmm. literature, right? And so much so that there is a whole area of studies that just attempts to, like, kind of push asexual readings onto stuff that isn't necessarily. And I, I'm trying to be respectful of it because it's not my work. But I, I once went to – I once went to, went to – to a talk at MLA. MLA for non-literary scholars is a massive convention, the Modern Language Association. It's the governing body for all English literature and other language studies. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the simplest way of saying it. They have a they have a massive conference and I once sat in on a on a talk about asexuality. And I just watched these people give talks about, well, here's what it would be. You know, here's an asexual reading of Moby Dick. And I just went this is fascinating, except that Moby Dick is 
literally just a book about dick jokes and gay. <laughs> like, it, like that's what it is. And that's what it's supposed to be. So when you're doing an asexual reading, you're largely just making stuff up. And I understand the need to do that because there's so little clearly asexual literature out there. So it's kind of neat to like sort of create one here. But then the there is a lack of consent that is inherent when you're removing sexuality from people. Yeah, I would, I would argue that this isn't about as... asexuality. This is about sexual repression, which is, again, not the same yes, thing. Yes, and that's, but I, but I think it wants to be about asexuality, but it's not. It's about forced repression. Yeah. And the book doesn't treat it that way, other than the fact that Megan's like, hey, I'm kind of horny. Let's go to this club. And then that goes away, right? <laughs> like, it, like, it opens a massive can of worms for me that, much like the trauma of, hey, you know, you've just been cheating on your husband for the last, I don't know how long they're trapped in this universe. Like, the little girl is four, right? So that means at least five years, <laughs> if not longer, that they've been in this reality. There's so many questions that come that come of that, and there's so many questions of the fact that they're continuously wiping their minds and forcing them to be in this world that removes their personal sexual desires, a part of their identity, and forces them to be in a perfect world, you know, a world without commitment or relationship or which is by the way not asexuality but like there's no relationships or familial commitment like it's 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 a weird thing that that is Nate/Hope's either of their version of perfection and that the cuckoos who are characters who I like just not here buy into that as a form of perfection that is not who Celeste and Phoebe are. I do have issues with the overall metaphor in terms of like what it does for us because I just it's never made any sense for me. I know the writers within the event agree. <laughs> like they have said so like publicly that it was like this premise was difficult and I don't really like want to write it. But like I think bringing up like asexual readings of it is important to the extent that I do want to emphasize that like I don't think this is a story that in any way shape or form handles any of those issues sensitively. And I don't don't just mean this story right like, i mean the entire age of x-man event and the criticism yeah oh yeah yeah i'm yeah, yeah i'm not talking about I should, I should be clear. i'm not talking about nightcrawler here i'm talking about the premise of yeah, the event yeah. the premise of the event <laughs> that does is this issue. is creepy yeah, and bad because like right there can be a misunderstanding of asexuality that it is a form of oppression like oh you just have to get over it you know, like, oh, it's just because of trauma and you have to get over it. Right. And that's a really negative, really bad, really inaccurate understanding of what asexuality is, which is a broad spectrum of, of feelings. Mm -hmm. It can be romantic. It can be aromantic. You know, there's all sorts of different ways that people can feel. And that's not what's being represented here. What's being represented is sexual repression. And then sexual repression is being treated as like the worst possible thing that we need to rebel against. So in terms of what this has to offer, <laughs> in terms of commentary on asexuality i would be like almost nothing but like, I don't know. <laughs> well no, but it's trying to do a very puritanical thing mm -hmm. it's trying to do a hey yeah. the world would be perfect if you just got rid of all that horniness it's like that's not great <laughs> on any on any on any and this is not just i mean as a person who likes sex in and of itself but also just as a as a person who understands varying levels of of sexuality along the along the spectrum that's no one's message unless you're evil there i mean i yeah nate's put them in, the, in a situation that is bad he's the bad guy here but it's it's just weird and it's 
weird on so many different levels and i don't like how it's again it's there's no consequences because the consequences are hickman's just gonna fix it all in a week in you know next week and that's kind of how they get rid of get out of it like i mean there's other things like they killed rain to start the entire event out and it's like oh. yeah, it's, oh, yeah which it's uh, which not, not really not part of this story yeah. but the entire age of x-men it starts with the with essentially murdering rain sinclair which there are you know, there there are queer bashing metaphors that are implicit there, which were gross. But even ignoring that, they did it because they knew that it was only going to last six months. Yeah, but like, and <laughs> I mean, I'd also and it's like, sorry, it's so gross. <laughs> it's gross on every level. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that gets us to the emotional manipulation of continuity storytelling in general. But I mean, it's like, yeah, like the sexuality metaphor is frustrating to me because there's, and like, again, this is speaking to the larger event and not necessarily this comic, which I do want to get back to this comic, but it's like the mixing up of like family connections and sexuality and like romanticism, which are not the same thing. <laughs> like the difference between those things mm -hmm. is not right. teased out in a very smart way in the event as a whole and it's also very limited in what it can do because you're like okay if this is this world where sex doesn't exist like let's explore all of the ramifications of that and let's explore the way different characters react to that i mean it could be that there are asexual characters within this world who are on various spectrum of that that are going to respond differently than other characters and there's no nuance about that because we're only allowed to be so sexually explicit in like t plus marvel comics within this event right because even he it's like did they have a child because they're unaware of the existence of birth control because of the nature of this world and like none of that is going to be explored in this type of comic so going to that place but not being able to do it is frustrating i'm not clear what happened in that they seem to remember a world where sex was normal and they're just not interested in it anymore except megan it Me megan definitely is and kurt is for the moment that he was horny that one night and you know couldn't resist her anymore like it's weird because it's not like a like oh, they wake up and it's like what did we do and and, and you know what we did like it's that it's yeah, not like a it's not like a uh what is this thing that involves penises mm -hmm. and vaginas i don't know where these parts go that's not what happened they were overcome by the passions right like that's that's how I'm to read it. Like, this is wrong. This is wrong. But I want you so bad. We must do this and we will deal with the ramifications tomorrow. I think that's how that scene's supposed to be, right? Like, so it's not that they're not aware of sex. They are aware of sex, but they are aware they're supposed to be repressing it because he's like, oh, if you find we have to they'll separate us if they find out that we did the nasty. Like, I think that's what we're supposed to be doing, right? I know. I find that super weird, too. Like what they yeah. kind of know about what sex is or not know about what sex is, because if they know what sex is, but they don't know what pregnancy is, like, I don't, what's going on here? <laughs> like, they, or, they know about semen, but they don't know well, what they it do, does. Though. <laughs> Because they remember that there used to be parents. Yeah. Like he says, well, now now everybody's made in this lab, but there used to be parents. But so like, like they don't so seem that's... to think that that's a possibility of them having sex. So it's confusing. Yeah. That's and that's kind of that part is sloppy. And I and I think it's I think it's sloppy because to acknowledge it feels like it would open up too many questions, mm -hmm. except that like and maybe it's just because I'm me and I'm a weirdo. But. I have these questions because you didn't acknowledge it rather than rather than because you had like it just leads to so many weird like what did you think would happen kind of you know and is this just humans that don't have sex now do we do we not watch dogs 
fuck and stuff? <laughs> there are so like, many I, questions. Like, but, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know what happened here, you know? I know. And, like, again, like, that whole context is just, like, not... Andrew, what is that comic that we read for Three Panel Contrast that was, like, that world of, like, animals... And it was like unnatural by Mirka and that's right. Oh! Because like I always think about that as like it's a somewhat similar premise, but like wherein the world mm-hmm. and the mechanics of the world are thought through, and you can actually explore some of the practical limitations <laughs> because it's not mm-hmm. a T plus comic. And then like mm-hmm. something like this from a major publisher, yeah. <laughs> like and you can't talk about well, what is the nature of birth control? Do people know about oral or only penetrative? And like mm-hmm. what do they know and not know? And like it does raise a lot of questions when it's not talked about <laughs> there's a there's a moment so we, t- we talked about this on on my other show um we have had uh, i don't know if either of you have ever seen bridgerton but i'm a big fan of the show bridgerton um as are my other co-hosts <laughs> on the other show and we, we've done several episodes about it but on the first season of bridgerton the one of the premises is uh, the main character of the first season Daphne she's been she's been sexually repressed her entire life so when she finally gets married her mother is sort of like oh well you'll have these you'll have these duties and I don't oh my god and she doesn't want to tell her so then when she when she gets married and they suddenly are now having sex she's sort of surprised by it all and she's trying to get pregnant and she keeps not getting pregnant because her husband keeps pulling out and she doesn't know about ejaculation. And I'm like, you're 19. You have seven brothers and sisters. You have horses. You have like, 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 like it's just it. You are. And I get that you're supposed to be a sexually repressed person, but it came across in the show as she's stupid because and I, it's not meant to be that way but like even when she finally fi- when she's trying to figure things out she asks like a, a chambermaid can you explain you know where babies come from to me and she, and and the chambermaid's like really and, and, and that's kind of like having watched it i went you are the second of seven kids so yeah really how do you not know this right like you you have horses, i might have you a have dog. example <laughs> yeah so pre-kinsey there's mm-hmm. some data that a lot of women before the sexual revolution mm-hmm. literally did not know that the female body was capable of orgasm. Oh, sure, um, sure, yes. Th- there's some really intense findings there about the extent mm-hmm. to which our bodily functions can be controlled by cultural ideology. Absolutely. So I, th- I think there, there's maybe something to that. I think so too, but the show took it as an as a for granted rather than an explanation and that right. was my my problem with it uh, so I'll, I'll give you the good version of this the good version of this is um a movie that no one cares about but the movie blue lagoon starring <laughs> brooke shields in that movie like they're trapped on this island as children they grew up together and not really thinking that much about each, each other's bodies because they're very small when they're they're toddlers and then they grow up and then they sort of discover sex when they're 16 ish by falling on top of each other and sort of they don't know like they don't figure out that like the sex that they're having like leads to the baby that she eventually has but they do understand you know there are other creatures around so they understand what humping is from other wildlife so like there's a there like yeah. there's the show the film tries to explore the fact that they're not morons they just don't have the science of it and like right. that I'm 
kind of more okay with. I'm not saying Blue Lagoon is the best movie ever. It's, <laughs> <laughs> that's not my intent. I'm just saying that was thought through in the writing of that book and the filming of the of the adaptation. Yeah, and like I get that I'm just supposed to think that Kurt and Megan are just so overwhelmed by passion that they weren't thinking about any of these things in this moment. And I get that. That's like an in-story explanation. I get it. But it's still mm-hmm. like the nature of their ignorance is odd. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right, right. It's what did we just do? Well, I mean, do you want me to draw you a picture? Yeah. I don't. <laughs> anyway, I want to end on something more positive. So, like, we have been talking, and we talked at the beginning of the pod about how we really like this characterization of Kurt. So let's talk about that a little bit more because we sort of we launched into our gripes, and I think we can go back and say some of the some of the good things that like made Andrew and I willing to ignore some of the bad things. So let's talk about that a little bit more. Like, I really like this as a version of the dream that he would have for himself. And it's like a neat little inversion of like the hated and feared thing. It works with the symbology of Nightcrawler as this character who, you know, going back to something like God Loves, Man Kills, he's the symbol of the mutant dream. He is the person who looks like a demon, but is the nicest person. He is like, you know, the epitome of the quote unquote Xavier's dream for the X-Men franchise. He's the moral center of this franchise a lot of the time so to make him be this movie star that reflects the dream of the perfect world I thought that was a pretty deft choice for the character I think it makes a lot of sense it is something that had been done previously Claremont picked up Kurt being a movie star in X-Men The End so there's sort of like some context for it leading in I have mixed feelings about X-Men The End like some stuff I like some stuff I don't like it's a wild comic Um, don't want to go off on a tangent about that but still like that one element of like Kurt being a movie star and especially in this context where it's like again this dream perfection version of himself you know and they even really underscore it in some of the dialogue and exchanges with Megan here that you know like all of the things that previously made me hated and feared make me loved in this reality and I really liked that as like a little read on Kurt's character I mean what did what did you think Andrew what were some of the sort of Kurt elements that did speak to you in this story um I I thought okay so we've already said I don't like the Megan here I don't this is Megan but I thought that the understanding of Kurt's relationship to Megan uh, was very well articulated there that idea of um, um, the repressed longing the natural rapport um, there, there's a lot happening there that I really liked I, I loved the the little detail that nobody remembers that Megan can fly but at the end Kurt does mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. cool that's a nice touch I like the idea of putting Kurt in a natural soap opera and letting him be the leading man within it that's very intelligent for obvious reasons Um, and I actually really like I think I mentioned this before but I like the idea of mobilizing Kurt's queerness when you're constructing this metaphor Mm -hmm. of forbidden sex as a queer allegory Um, I I feel like Kurt should be the X-Man who's who's leading that kind of intersection uh, of two competing metaphors so there's a lot here that I think just um again shows this deft understanding of who Nightcrawler is as a character and all the things that made him so kind of uh, iconic and special Uh, and again having that re-articulated at a time when I think writers had forgotten to me is what what made this a gleeful experience reading it just being like oh this person gets this character the way that I like to think I get this character but probably don't as much as Anna does oh I think you get this character just fine, but um, 
Yeah, and there's something satisfying about, because you brought it up earlier, Andrew, the fact that his character shines through all of this repression, right? I mean, he's the one that stands up for the cuckoos and their family relationship, right? Like, people are putting them down at the party. Mm -hmm. It's very much like a queer metaphor thing, like, oh, isn't their relationship disgusting, even though they're, like, sister clones, rather than, like, you know, Mm -hmm. in in a sexual romantic relationship. That's still, like, sort of the subtext implication there, right? That, like, certain types of relationships are disgusting, and even despite all the repression despite having his mind wiped hundreds of times by the most powerful telepaths on the planet kurt is not capable of not stepping in and defending them right and i think that that's a really satisfying character read and i think it's a really satisfying character read that he's not able despite all of that repression despite all of that brainwashing he's not able to believe that sex and romance is bad he just can't believe it like it's so easy to convince him otherwise and like underlying that as a fundamental aspect of the character very satisfying to me personally i love it (laughs) it's great and like the queer allegory that you brought up too i mean we have to underscore the queerness of the sex club right it's very deliberate Mm -hmm. the way that club has a lot of seeming same-sex partners in it a lot of visibly different mutants at it and i mean it's an explicit queer allegory anyway like we're putting on masks because as long as like (laughs) We're all buying into this, yeah. you know, like we're all respect the mask. Yeah. I mean, that's like exactly <laughs> like it's a, it's an underground <laughs> queer sex club. That's what it is. That's what they're going for. And I mean, even though this is an ostensibly heterosexual couple, you know, I think more could be done with it in terms of that being the connection between Kurt and Megan. I would love to see more done with Megan's shape shifting in this story. I would always love to see more done with Megan's shape shifting. But at the same time, it does signpost that, right? The scene where they kiss, you know their first kiss in issue number one, you know? Like, we can't, says Kurt, and Megan's like, why not? We're the theater people, the strange ones. We have to understand things if we're going to portray them. This is supposed to be a perfect (laughs) world. Let's be perfect together. And they're going to be perfect together in their shared strangeness. And, you know, whether you buy into that or not, I really appreciate that as the impulse of this comic and as a reading of Kurt and Megan that Exactly as Andrew said, I don't think this is a good characterization of Megan, but I also think it buys into the theory that we talked about a lot earlier in the podcast of the connection between Kurt and Megan being him recognizing and accepting her difference and her feeling accepted through the ways that he models acceptance right? That they can be different together and that they can be special together. And that's sort of the nature of the bond between these characters. So those things I really bought into, they really spoke to, there are reasons why this comic sort of ignited, reignited rather, my love of sort of this character and got me back reading those old Excaliburs again because like I was not expecting to just pick up a comic in 2019 and being like oh my god there's like a story about Kurt and Megan having like a forbidden romance in a world in which they're co-stars at a movie studio making hilarious action movies how could I possibly love that premise more (laughs) (laughs) I mean that's like that is geared to me as a premise and again the execution of the larger world have issues with it but the premise in and of itself and the characterization of Nightcrawler, I just love to pieces. It is the reason I got sort of interested in revisiting the things that I had previously loved about it and catching up with Nightcrawler, which, you know, mixed bag as usual. But still, but still, it got me back in the fold. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Mab, was there anything that you liked about the characterization of Nightcrawler? I think you're right about the idea that this is the wish fulfillment version, right? Like... I will I will caveat everything I said earlier about, you know, about why I don't like this. And I will say 
those are the things that I largely like about fan fiction versions. In fan fiction, one of the things that people do is not everybody. I should I, I don't I don't want to. Fan fiction is a large Very diverse, is a large yes. <laughs> yes. But for many people, what will happen in a fanfic is people will say, Here is my favorite character, let's say Nightcrawler, but whoever, Spock, right? Like, it doesn't matter. And here are the ways in which I would give them their happy ending. And this is it, it's why people complain about the Mary Sue <laughs> element, but it's also kind of it's kind of nice, right? Like in Kurt's perfect world, of course Kurt is beloved. Of course he's Errol Flynn, right? Like he is the world's biggest movie star. And in a world where you are where you win the Beyonders prize, right? And you get to choose any reality for you that you want. Kurt doesn't wish wish to be normal. Kurt wishes to be Kurt, but he's the biggest star in the world. And that is an understanding of the character that is pleasant. The problem is in the iterative nature of, you know, of episodic ongoing fiction that is by decree of we want the company to last forever unbounded happiness can't happen you have to have a reset but like if happiness is allowed to happen this makes sense to be his happiness other than the sexual problem yeah so i like that <laughs> I, I i do like that i i do think it is a it shows a smartness and an understanding of what kurt's ideal self was yeah. or should be anyway i like the way that there's tensions within that though because it still speaks to the contradictions of nightcrawler because he feels the pressure of living up to that role as well right like sure. there's a self-reflexivity but that's to a it. pressure yeah yeah, but I mean, that's the same that's the same pressure as like me starting out this episode going, oh, God, my life's so hard. I had to grade a whole bunch of papers. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. But it's the job that I wanted. <laughs> like, it's not like anybody <laughs> made me take this job. So, yes, yeah, it's a pressure. But, yeah, it's a good pressure for him. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, like there is like the pressure to be perfect by repressing aspects of himself like his sexuality. So there's like that that's like built into it. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, we have to be perfect mutants and all of that stuff and you know the pressure that he feels to live up to that role is a huge factor in his decision to make like the tragic sacrifice that he makes at the end which you know i agree i was not infested in the tedia thing i don't care it, maybe if it had actually been tj and they'd like worked that in and then brought her back into the universe after like i would care a little bit more but the character the tedia gene character is just a cipher and an idea and not a character so i actually don't particularly care but i did care about the sacrifice at the end and i i admit it did affect me you know the part where kurt is like i want to be perfect let me be perfect and megan is like sailing away and like knowing what that sacrifice means to him and sort of reading that back into my understanding of the character as like you know this is his conflict between like his repression and his liberation right it is like informed by this utopian impulse by him like wanting to be perfect by him wanting to fulfill the desires of everybody else and be who they need him to be and to me that's where in a perfect world in which we weren't always just explaining his repression as like hey he's catholic look he's catholic <laughs> this could be a much more nuanced and interesting take on like where some of Kurt's conflicts emerge from because again a very liberated character in some ways but a very repressed character in other ways in terms of him having these very stringent standards for himself which again are informed by the ways he's treated by society informed by the persecution of his otherness and all of these things and again I think that's a really informed smart by the character religion, just not read yeah. yeah informed by the religion just not wholly consumed by yeah it, exactly if, if written done well it can be a factor but just not 
the only factor but um <laughs> right anyway, we've complained mm-hmm. about that before anyway let's do some final thoughts um other things from this comic moments or, or things that we didn't get a chance to discuss um i'll let you go first andrew did you have a did you have a final thought about this comic so i'm not sure if it was good or not it was one of those things that i can't really figure out but i did think it was a little interesting the way that mystique was used as this manifestation mm. of kurt's sort of repressed mother issues at least signposting them but i'm not sure if it was handled in a way that was ultimately productive but i thought it was a neat thing to incorporate yeah and there's like an interesting see age of x-men has all of these like little nuggets of world building that never get returned to and one of them with the kurt and mystique thing here is like oh like there's the suggestion that kurt sided with mystique during the conversion of the world or like some kind of point in which he wasn't completely mind wiped and so her coming back is reminding him of that and I'm like whoa that is a whole story that like hmm. is interesting that's just like alluded to in a line yeah. of dialogue and like I don't it ends up being like that in an AU world that's five issues we can only do so much but yeah there was a lot of potential in that that like did intrigue me but again there was only so much we could do with it in the context of this story how about you Mav <laughs> anything you want to circle back to or bring up yeah um and it, it, we we mentioned it briefly because it was a line that Andrew really liked but I wanted to talk about the art which is um when Kurt has the oh there you are for all like when that moment I don't love it and I don't love it not because of the line I'm okay with him seeing her inner beauty my problem is given that this is the first issue it took me a minute to figure out what she did like oh I get it. Her hair's less floofy and her her boobs are smaller. But, like, he doesn't have enough portrayal of her to sort of get that, like, I I, I just didn't understand the transformation. I Like, I was just like, like, what did she change? Because, like, I I mean, I get the, like, essentially she's gone from being, you know, a supermodel beautiful woman to just a regular beautiful woman <laughs> and 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 like i wasn't and i didn't catch on to that at first it's like oh she is like it's literally her boobs got smaller that is a clear thing that is once i knew what he was going for i see that it's there but it just it doesn't work as well from the one panel to the next as i think it's supposed to in order to in order to get it if she had gotten more feral or something that's what davis does when he when you know when he yeah. when he's trying to like that gets it across it's just that she's still a cartoon character so i didn't notice the lack of one cup size i i'm sorry i like yeah. maybe i'm just not a not duty enough <laughs> like, like but, but like that's but that was that was my flaw with it I should, like, and i and i spent some time staring at it i'm like well what is he talking about she's been there for the last eight pages kurt what are you stupid no oh i see and it just took me a while to figure it out like i'm stupid i was supposed to notice her boobs and i liked the idea of it (laughs) you know but yeah i did i have overthought that moment a little bit and like is there a way that i would do that differently is it just the art not serving it yeah i'm not sure no i think i i but i think it works differently in a motion so in a motion thing where you could literally see like uh what's uh, the movie terminator uh three where the female terminator in order to like seduce guys morphs her boobs yeah. bigger <laughs> like it's a dumb move but like since it's animated as an effect and you see them grow 
that makes sense. A similar thing happens in, uh, oh, this is a really dumb movie, but like <laughs> will fit the, for the... If you've ever seen My Super Ex-Girlfriend, oh, yeah. it's a ridiculous movie, but one of the premises in that film is, and then when you get powers, you get the superhero body. So when Anna Faris, uh, Uma Thurman has powers throughout the entire movie, but spoilers, when Anna Faris um, uh, eventually gets superpowers, her boobs grow and she becomes blonde because she's a comic book mm -hmm. superhero now and that just happens. <laughs> and, and it's, it, you know, it's silly and dumb and it's making fun of the trope, but like you notice it in a live action mov movement in a way that it just doesn't come across panel to panel. It, it probably would have come across panel to panel if I'd had four or five issues of, of seeing Draw Megan and saying, oh, okay, I get what it's done. But like on page seven, I nah, didn't pick it up. No, that's that's fair. Um, my final thought is just going to be about the last page of the comic in which we have Teenie Jean cuddling with a Banff doll and uh, it's adorable and I love it. <laughs> and, like heartbreaking in the context of this world in which of course like Banff dolls would be commercially produced in this world in which Nightcrawler is a huge movie star and yet in the past in X-Men comics it's been a very personal gift sort of confined to a couple of characters and the way that it plays with that tension here the way it's both like signaling the specialness of this bond with the child who looks like the doll that she's cuddling but also the tragedy of it being a mass market product and alluding to the obvious distance between them and like the father in this relationship that was heartbreaking to me that was a nice little bit of like signposting a lot of conflicts on the very last page and that did get me like I could look at that page and be like my heart so it got me it got me <laughs> it worked <laughs> for one person to exactly yeah I know don't question it don't <laughs> question it <laughs> okay I wasn't sure like like is it like are the are let the me have this only, like because just it's just like are they controlling like a six block square know, radius where all films are made where are they I know, <laughs> I know. It doesn't make any sense that you would be able to hide in this world controlled by telepaths. I know that. I know that. But, like, the vamp doll. Adorable. <laughs> My pride broke it. My rage broke it. This excellent knight, who fought with fairness and grace, was meant to win. I used Excalibur to change that verdict. I've lost for all time, the ancient sword of my fathers, whose power was meant to unite all men, not to serve the vanity of a single man. All right. Um, I think we will wrap things up there. Um, we don't have anybody to promote themselves this week, so I don't know. Do we want to promote ourselves and talk about the stuff that we've got going on? I mean, I'm writing something about the the Marvel and DC Pride Month anthologies for, for an oh, edited cool. collection and for the Canadian Society for the Study of Comics conference later this month. I'm also working oh, on like awesome. a essay about Nightcrawler for another collection. I'm also still working on the superhero TV book and got a few different a few different irons in the fire while I try to figure out what to do with the rest of my life but Andrew <laughs> that, was, that got dark yeah I know it end. got dark at the end let's not think about it let's just write things but Andrew you mentioned your book on a previous episode but feel free to to hype it again or tell us about other stuff you're working on I'm sorry is there a book mm -hmm. there is yeah uh, it's called I'm the weird. Claremont run subverting gender in the x-men <laughs> I have to write the proofs, or I have to edit the proofs for it tomorrow or sometime this week, and then just waiting the index. It comes out in October, uh, and then this summer I have to write a follow-up 
book on um, sort of Chris, Chris Claremont's general comics um, career and focus. So I'll be I'll be busy with books for a little bit. And we're doing Ducks at Sequential Scholars right now. It's awesome. We just started it. We've got yeah. lots of good stuff in the pi- pipeline. Mav, what have you got going on? Like always, I've got my other show. If you're, if you're not subscribed to my other show. What are um, you doing? Subscribe. <laughs> Podcasting is lonely. Yeah, please subscribe to my other show. Like there's a, it's not, it's comic books sometimes. It's not all the time. It's, it's pop culture in general. We've been doing a lot of weird and interesting stuff over there so um we're, we're talking summer movies uh probably this week as you listen or we might be talking about ai like i get tr- i get very confused about like the scheduling of when i record a podcast mm-hmm. versus when it's airing on I'm, i've also got um like everything that i have that is done being written is already published somewhere <laughs> so i am working on something i'm working on a couple things uh that will be out actually that's not true i think i actually do have one completed article that's not done yet because um that because uh joe's next book isn't out yet so most stuff i'm at but you can't buy it yet because it's not been announced yet um but i've got a i've got a article coming out in another edited anthology i've got probably one coming after that after that i'm doing some another conference in the fall and i've got something else bigger but i'm not really ready to talk about it yet so stay tuned Nice. Yeah, I might get back to comic book reviewing, too, if I end up enjoying the new Jed McKay Avengers. I am excited about maybe some Vision and Scarlet Witch content in that. So we'll see. So that might be something that I end up doing Mm. in the more popular vein. But um, anyway, yeah, snapshot of what we get up to. We don't hype ourselves enough on this podcast. I'm on Twitter for as long as it exists. Yeah, still, still, (laughs) still on Twitter. I'm still on Twitter entirely too much, even though I enjoy it less every day day but still still there (laughs) anyway (laughs) next barring any further scheduling snafus we will be returning to our regular scheduled programming to discuss excalibur number 95 amplified heart co-starring x-man why i thought this was an excuse to talk about this today and featuring the debut of a new regular pencil penciler in carlos pacheco Um, i also promised that podcast feuds might come Mm. to a head we'll once again see what happens in the meantime if you liked what you heard please follow us like and review the podcast wherever you're listening to it or watching it don't forget to check out our fabulous youtube videos which we've done for many of our earlier episodes plus our holiday specials you can find those on our website or the vox podcast youtube channel subscribe 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 as always if you want oh, to yeah, that's the name of my other show. I, I, I never said that i just said my other show yeah Vox, Vox podcast. Podcast. Please subscribe. as always if you want to chat with us about excalibur pitch yourself as a guest for a future episode let us know you can reach out via our website goshgollywow.com where we've got some fun extras and via twitter at goshgollywow where we post daily pages from whatever issue we're reading that weekend more fun extras thank you andrew and Matt, for another reality bending conversation thank you all for listening and a special thanks to maximilian of Thoughtform music for a truly epic theme song play us out i feel like that was like a mix of highs and lows today <laughs> like positivity and darkness <laughs>